that word natural come from? I, I don't know how I got, it's not in Keller's definition, and I, like, I just kind of slipped that in there, and maybe that was a kind of a God kind of thing, because it got me thinking, you know what, revival is anything but natural. It's not something that, that happens as a result of, you know, if you just sing the right song, and you pray the right prayer, and you preach the right message on the right subject, then, then you can twist God's arm into doing that. That's not what revival is. Revival is the supernatural work. The God-ordained, God-decided. We can, we can pray for it, we can seek it, and we need to do that. But at the end of the day, it's a supernatural thing that comes from God, from the Holy Spirit, and we have no control. This week I was in a couple of social uh, situations uh, where I walked into, uh, there are a couple of different places, I walked into a room and it's like everybody was already kind of, a lot of people were already there and uh, I only knew a few people in the room well, um, uh, and, and, and they were all engaged in conversation. So I don't know if you've ever walked in a room, and you, you're, you're gotta, it's a kind of a social thing, and you really don't really know who to talk to or, or how to kind of enter in a conversation. I felt, like, I felt like I was back in high school again, and I was in the math club, uh, and, and just walking in the locker room with all the football players, and you know, I, these are not my people, I don't know who to talk to. So it was in that kind of situation that I that I walked into, and as I began to then kind of have some conversations with some folks, kind of break into some of those uh, conversations and kind of talk to some folks, the, the thing in those settings that, that you often talk about is what you do. And so these people that, that I'm getting to know better, the thing that oftentimes in those kind of social settings that you talk about is kind of that it naturally comes up you know, kind of what do you do what do you you know maybe what's your job or what's your hobby or 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 what's your some of your pastimes and so what you do and 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 kind of communicating that with each other helps you to get to know people so think about today that the downpour that we seek is something that comes in a divine way. It's the, it's the work of the Holy Spirit. It's the, the intensified work of the Holy Spirit. To get to know the Holy Spirit, it'd probably be good for us to get to know what the Holy Spirit does. And we get to know the Holy Spirit better when we do that. And so to do that, that's why we're going to look at the second chapter of the book of Acts. Because in the second chapter of the book of Acts, we see this wonderful picture of the downpour of the Holy Spirit in the lives of some, some Christ followers. And so again, the ordinary work of the Holy Spirit, and let me just kind of outline what, what the Holy Spirit does. And this is not an exhaustive list, but here's a, here's a list of some things. The Holy Spirit convicts. It's kind of simple, convicts of sin, helps us to recognize uh, as we've talked about in this service earlier, that, um, you know, that recognition of if there's sin in my life. So that's the conviction that comes by the work of the Holy Spirit. There is a compelling that comes as a result of the work of the Holy Spirit. We celebrate as a church this year 111 people, and I just talked 112 earlier uh, today, um, 111 people that have, that have decided that they want to follow Christ and to, and to, to be baptized. They've been compelled to a, to a deeper place in their walk. And for some, that's a first-time kind of experience. They were really far from God, and they decided, hey, I want to have a personal relationship with Christ. And so they have become followers of Christ. And so there's that, that drawing, that compelling work. But in others, some of you were baptized as just a result of, you know what, I was, maybe you, had a, you were baptized as a child, and you just, you just felt like, uh, you just want to get closer. You want to, to grow in your walk, and you felt like that was an important milestone, which I would agree with. Uh, and so you made that decision. And so it's the, it's the spirit that compels us, that draws us, that does that kind of work as well. And so the convicting, the compelling, the, the sanctifying, that word sanctification or sanctifying comes from a Latin word, actually two words that are combined together to mean to make holy. 
And so to sanctify just means to, to live holy, to, 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 to get that help. And the, and the empowering the Holy Spirit helps us to live right. And, to, and to, when temptation comes, to, to, to say no to that. And it's the empowering the Holy Spirit that helps us. Jesus said, I don't leave you alone. I'm going to help you and bring the helper or comforter. And so the Holy Spirit helps us to resist temptation and be more like Jesus. And then finally, the assuring. That when a revival, a renewal comes, that there's a, just a renewed intensification of the assurance of where we are with Christ. Just a, a deepening in the, the sweetness of our relationship with Christ. And just a knowledge of, you know what, I, I'm, I'm, I'm God's and I have a relationship with God. And just, a, just an assurance that, that just deepens. And that's just a cool thing that we'll talk about uh, next week. We'll actually talk about sanctifying and that assurance next week, which I think will be really helpful to us as we talk about that. But this week, I want to talk about the first two. The work that the Holy Spirit does is we get to know the Holy Spirit and we seek for renewal and revival in our own lives, the convicting and the compelling work of the Spirit. And so here in Acts 2, we've got this powerful picture of the work of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. It was the day that the, the church was birthed. And, and last week in, in chapter 1, we talked about that. And we talked about the kind of the preparation that had been done by the disciples, as Jesus says, as he was ascending back to go back to be with God. After his, resurrect, or after his resurrection, he went back and ascended back to heaven. And he said, I want you to go back to Jerusalem, and I want you to wait, and there's going to be, come this wonderful, empowering experience. And now we've come to that point. And the disciples had gone back and they had waited and they'd been waiting for what Jesus had told them was going to happen. And here we see the story, Acts 2, verse 1, let me read it for us. And when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. So they, were doing, they did just exactly what Jesus told them to do. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. And it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So here we see on this group that had gathered, the Holy Spirit came. And the Holy Spirit is poured out on them. And as happens when something big is going on, a crowd began to gather. And so here's this crowd that had grown from the disciples that there, were, there was this huge crowd that had gathered. And as the crowd gathered, as again happens with crowds, they began to kind of talk and kind of mutter and kind of discuss what was happening. And some were confused and what's going on and, and who are these people and, what, and why are, why, why are you know, these things happening? Others, and so they were kind of confused and perplexed as you kind of read the story. Others... We're talking about what's going on is not the spirit that's come, but the issue was spirits. Uh, and they were, they were thinking that these guys are drunk, that they had been having a little too much to drink. It's uh, morning, but they're already drunk. And so that's what's going on with these guys. And so, and so there's that group that's kind of muttering about that. These people are just crazy drunk. And then there's other people that are like, uh, you know, what's happening? Is this, is this God or what's going on? And then out of that group stands the Apostle Peter. And he stands up, having been one that experienced uh, that empowering for himself. And he preaches what is the first real sermon in this new fledgling church. Here is Peter. The guy, and you need to remember the context. This is the guy that, that, that before, when Jesus was taken, the night that he was taken and betrayed. He was taken, he was put on trial. Remember from the Garden of Gethsemane, it was Peter that had followed from at a distance, and, and as he's on trial, 
They were asking him, hey, aren't you with Jesus? And he was afraid, and so he denies Jesus, denies him even to a servant girl that was there. And so he was afraid and, and, and backward. But here we see on the day of Pentecost a new man having experienced this renewal and this revival as the Spirit comes on him. And so he stands up and he preaches this wonderful message, Spirit-inspired, revival-fueled kind of message. And I want you to notice in verse 37 and 38 in chapter 2, the results of the revival. The results of what happened as he preaches this message. And notice in verse 37 it says, And when they heard this, he was just telling about Jesus, And when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift, the outpouring, the downpouring of the Holy Spirit. Notice in verse 37 it says, And when they heard... So what was the result of them hearing? And it says that they were cut to the heart. That there was this reaction that they have. Okay, okay, uh, my heart's, it's, 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 I know there's something happening here. What, 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 what do we need to do in response to this? And I want you to kind of think about the catalyst. And of course the Holy Spirit is at work, convicting and compelling, and we'll talk more about that. But I want you to kind of notice what the foundation was. What was the catalyst of what was going on? What, what, was, what was Peter saying that, that, was, what, what, that the Spirit was using to, to motivate them, to convict them, to compel them? What was Peter preaching about as he stands up? As he stands up, if you were to kind of summarize his sermon that he preaches, it's recorded here. Uh, it wouldn't be, the summary wouldn't be um, how to be the better you. <laughs> That's not what he was preaching about. He, was, he wasn't preaching about how to, uh, uh, you know, this is part one of a four-part four series that we're going to start uh, here uh, on how to, how to be a better you in this pagan Roman culture. It wasn't a sermon about how God wants you to be happy. It wasn't a sermon about how to, how to use your money more effectively. What the, the, and nothing is wrong about any of those kind of sermons, but the thing that the, the, at the start of the church, at the, at the very first service of this new church that was being birthed notice where he starts he starts with jesus he starts with jesus it was a simple sermon about jesus let me tell you about jesus and he starts by quoting the prophetic passage from joel that was fulfilled on that day in the downpour of the spirit that had come as their hearts then were tuned to Jesus and it was Peter that having his heart tuned to Jesus he stands and he begins to preach and he begins to talk about this this outpouring that had come that had been prophesied about in verse 17 he goes on and he talks about in the last days that that the spirit will be poured out just like it's happened today on all flesh and so what we see is this message was a message for everyone it'll be poured out on all flesh as we go on in verse 21, he, he reiterates this revolutionary truth that the, the gospel is not just for some, some single people group, not for a specific race or a creed or a color or a nationality. What he says is that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord Jesus will be saved. It was an awesome message. 
And so he's talking about Jesus and that, that it's a message for everyone. And because there are different people there. And you can notice as, as you look and it see, you see who was gathered there. There are people from all over the known world that, because they had come uh, to Jerusalem. And so he just shares that this message is for everyone. And then he just starts describing Jesus. And who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. In verse 23, he describes Jesus as Jesus having been delivered up according to a definitive plan, according to the, to the foreknowledge, he says, of God. In other words, God knew this was going to happen. God had planned this uh, prior. This was not, you know, sometimes in our lives we have a series of events or whatever or bad things happen or whatever, and we try to kind of manipulate them and try to make the best of bad situation. We've all heard that. Hey, you need to try to make, you know, if the world gives you lemons, make lemonade or those kind of things. And that's not what God did. God hadn't taken the, the, where Jesus you know, is teaching and, and then he was crucified and, and, and all of that and tried to make that bad situation into something good. What we see in Jesus is a plan that had been inaugurated way back at the very beginning in the Garden of Eden. And what we see in Jesus is, is, is this plan of redemption that has unfolded. And it was something that, that had been alluded to for generations way back when. And, 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 and that's what he's talking about. That Jesus was delivered to be crucified by lawless men, he talks about. In verse 31, he talks about the resurrection. This was God's plan. His plan to redeem us. And I love the power of his words in verse 36, as Peter again stands up with the empowering the Holy Spirit within him. I want you again to get who was in this crowd probably. As you kind of think about the, the power of his words, who was in this crowd. Undoubtedly were people that had contributed to the uh, orchestration of the crucifixion of Jesus. So these were men that had the authority and the power to potentially do the same or similar things to Peter. And they were in the crowd that day. But here is Peter having experienced this, this life-changing downpour in his life, this renewal, this revival. And look at what he says in verse 36 as his big conclusion. The conclusion to this message of Jesus, he says this to the crowd. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him, talking about Jesus, God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now, I don't know if he pointed or not, because that was probably been bad form, but, but he certainly kind of, he was, he was in their face. This is, this is the one that you crucified. He is. This is Jesus, the Lord and the Christ. He's the Messiah. He's the Savior. And when Peter says this, it reminded me of, if you watched any of the political debates or you watch the news and you see all the politicians throwing you know, mud back and forth to each other and they kind of say something and you're like, well, that's a, quite a zinger that they, they throw the other person's way. And then you kind of do the fact check and you're like, oh, well, that isn't quite exactly right. You know? uh, but this, what Jesus says to them as he zings this truth at them was 100% accurate. You, you crucified Jesus. And this Jesus who you crucified is both Lord and Christ. He summarizes his message that Jesus is the one. And he preached, has preached this message where he defines Jesus and describes Jesus. 
that he's the Christ, that he's the Son of God, that he's the God's earthly envoy sent to serve and to suffer and to be the, 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 for the redemption of humanity. And, and he was laid in a tomb and he rose from the dead and he's, he talks about all these things. And everyone, he says, who calls on the name of the Lord Jesus will be saved. And so I want, what I want us to get as we think about the downpour of the Spirit, we think, about, we think about revival, we think about renewal in our lives, we have got to understand this, that the narrative that fuels a downpour is the redeeming work of Jesus. Now, if you're online, you should be typing amen. Maybe if you're here, you might say that. I mean, just a little, like, uh-huh, amen, yes. Uh, just some affirmation or just think it in your mind. Let me say that one more time. Uh, and it's on your screens. The narrative that fuels a downpour is the redeeming work of Jesus Christ. That's it. It's, it's who Jesus is. That's what it's about. And so we need to never forget what Jesus did. Never downplay what Jesus did. Never allow to become commonplace what Jesus did. We can never become callous to what Jesus did. Jesus and his death, his burial, his resurrection makes a way for us who were sinners. And we were all sinners at one time. He makes a way for us to be reconciled with God, to be made right with God. And I would propose that we will never see a God-ordained renewal or revival if we don't get the redeeming work of Jesus right. And what I mean by that is we don't have to be theologians. We don't have to have every nuance that we understand everything, that, all the implications, because no one could ever understand all the implications and all that Jesus did. It's too massive and too awesome for our finite minds to comprehend. But there are certain things that we must believe and we can't reject if we want to experience that downpour. And it's all tied up in the redeeming work of Jesus. So we can't be fuzzy on whether or not Jesus' death on the cross matters for us. We can't be fuzzy on that. We can't be fuzzy and we can't dismiss the fact that Jesus was born miraculously, the, the virgin birth or the reality of the, the resurrection is historic fact. It's not something that, that we can be fuzzy on because it matters to our redemption about what we believe about Jesus. That he's coming again, that, that he's going to come to judge the dead and living. And we do it by faith, of course. And, but we have to understand that and, and have a belief. We have to believe who Jesus is and who Jesus is, the Christ he is our Redeemer. And so it matters what we believe on these key things about Jesus. And if we expect to experience a soul-stirring revival, then what we believe about what Jesus did for us matters. Peter took the time to tell the story of Jesus. Who he is, what he's done, the difference that he's made. And again, as we see in verse 37, when they heard about Jesus... And they process what Jesus had done. Notice the reaction. What shall we do? And what, when we think about Jesus, we talk about Jesus, what, who Jesus is and what Jesus has done demands a response. And that's what they were kind of saying. What, what, what should I do with this? Uh, what should I do with Jesus? What should I do with this? Uh, this is what I have come to learn about who Jesus really is. And that's conviction. That reality that I need Jesus. And that's what they were saying in that moment. That I need, I need to know who he is. The, the downpour comes through conviction. One of the revivals, or the marks of revival is 
the downpour of the conviction of the Holy Spirit. In John verse 16, verse 7 and 8, Jesus talking, he says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. And if I do not go away, the Helper, talking about the Holy Spirit, will not come to you. But if I go away, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. And so the Spirit comes convicting of sin, convicting uh, concerning the call to righteousness, the right living, convicting concerning the reality of the coming judgment that Christ is coming again. Conviction, very simply, is what happens when I realize that I'm guilty for my sin. That I'm responsible for my sin. Like the, did you, did you, the affluenza dude down in is it Texas where uh, his defense in front of the court was, well, I was raised uh, with a silver spoon in my mouth and I was raised, uh, I was so affluent that uh, I didn't know any better was kind of his defense. And he said, if you want, I did that, I'm responsible. And that's what conviction is. A sense that I'm responsible. Conviction is the awakening of God's people and those that are far from God, but also in the church of, of our guilt and condemnation. If there's something that's coming between us and God, that there's, a, there's, a, there's a, something that is in us, that the, the Spirit is coming alive in us and reminding us that, hey, you know what? There's something in your life that, that is not quite right. You need to get that right before God. And revival comes when we understand what Jesus did for us. And when his, his teaching and what he came to share with us, it's not just great stuff that helps us become a better husband and father. It's not just great stuff that helps us to know how to manage our money better, you know, the, th- the things that he taught. It's not just something that, again, helps us to become better actualized in our world. The teaching of Jesus and what Jesus did through his death, burial, and resurrection makes a difference for eternity when we understand that I'm a sinner saved by grace and Jesus died for me. And so it matters when I understand that I'm a sinner and I need a Savior. And there are sins of commission. In other words, sins that we commit. That do, when we do things that we shouldn't do. And that's sins of commission. There's sins of omission. When I don't do things that I should do. And when we act like sin doesn't matter, we do what, as Bonhoeffer says, we cheapen grace. It's not just about getting our theology right. It's not just about getting our service to the world right. It's not just about getting our care for our world and, and people in this world and offering them cups of cold water and getting that right, the, the loving our world right. Friends, we need to live right as well. We need to do all of those things. But there comes a point we need to recognize that it matters the way that I live. And the reason that so many times the world wants to reject Christ is because they look at us and we say one thing and we live a totally different lifestyle. It matters how we live. And revival and renewal comes with a heightened sense of conviction that sin matters. It matters to the church and it matters in my life and it matters as a Christ follower and it matters that I live my life as I've been called to live holy. And we should care about the purity of our lives before God and before our world. Revival comes with an intensification of the conviction of the Holy Spirit when the Holy Spirit comes into our lives. A couple nights ago, 
Jacob's laying in the front room and he's trying to, he's into CrossFit and so he's, I don't know, watching them flip tires or, or uh, bench press small compact cars or whatever they're doing on uh, this CrossFit thing. He was watching and he, he it wouldn't do want to download and so he's like, Dad, you've got to call and figure out this internet thing, uh, the, our download, upload speeds, whatever. It's, it's, it's crazy, it's not working well. So I call them, they come out. And uh, last night they were at the house till way late. I'm trying to watch the Packer game, and this guy's uh, in and out or whatever. And and, uh, and so I go talk to him, and he finally kind of is wrapping up. And it's dark. It's like eight thirty at night, nine o'clock, whatever. And and he and he, I said, well, what was really the problem? And he said, well, the the line from your house that connects from your house to the to the goes through the trees across the road to the other side in the neighbor's yard. He said that line, uh, the squirrels had gotten in that line and have eaten away at that line. And then water and stuff gets in there and it just degrades the signal. And it makes your internet kind of sputter in and out, in and out, kind of sputter, on, off kind of thing. And so I had to totally replace the line. I got to thinking, you know what? Sin is like that. Sin is like that squirrel that's on the line, that's connecting us to God. And sin is the, the thing that eats away at, at our connection. And, and when we allow the sin to just keep eating away and keep eating away and keep eating away, it, it degrades the signal. Conviction reminds us that we need to make sure that the line's good. The final thing, real quick, that we see in this story in the book of Acts Peter preaches this wonderful message about Christ, about Jesus. And it was the first officially recorded sermon that we see in this fledgling church that had just been birthed here in the, in the book of Acts. And I was, kinda, I was thinking back when I was 16 to my first sermon. And I look at Peter's the, the re- awesome response when Peter finishes his sermon. And I'm thinking, you know what, that was not what happened when I finished my sermon. I don't know that my mom even liked my first sermon. I mean, my mom, you know, maybe my mom thought it was okay, but, but it was not good. And Peter, his first sermon, he, he concludes, and, and, and they ask, okay, what can we do? And, and notice what's going on. There is that, there was a conviction of sin, because Peter set, talks to them about repenting of their sin and, and being baptized. But there was, what was going on was this conviction, but also there was a compelling, there was a drawing a drawing that was going on. The Holy Spirit was working in their hearts. He was drawing them to Christ. And the results of the, the spiritual drawing on the day of Pentecost, we can see it in verse 41, was people were compelled uh, to come to Christ. And so those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. That's an awesome move of the Holy Spirit. They were drawn. The downpour comes through the compelling work. And sure, it was a great message, and, he, and he, he, he did a great job. And Peter, I'm sure, was, was, was eloquent and fiery, and it was great. And there was probably some emotion going on. They, they just experienced the, uh, you know, what they had experienced, and there were people that were wondering what's happening. And, but at the end of the day, the thing that was happening, the thing that really mattered, was that God was at work, the Holy Spirit was at work, compelling people, moving in hearts. Are you open to that? Are you open to the compelling work of the Holy Spirit to draw you to a deeper place in your walk? John chapter 6 verse 44 says, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. 
I'm sure in that crowd, there were 3,000 that come to Christ. I'm sure there were people that had been kind of uh, followers of Jesus. They were kind of the groupies that had been following him around because he's doing some cool, miraculous kind of stuff. And, and they had listened to his teachings. And they, had kind of, they were kind of, kind of quasi kind of followers. They, they were kind of on the bandwagon kind of thing. And so when they heard something was going on uh, with these Jesus followers, they show up that day. There was others that were undoubtedly in that camp of skeptics. Many of the house of Israel, as he, as he points out in that, remember that conclusion, that were gathered there that had rejected Jesus, that did not see Jesus as the Messiah. And they were, they were there that day, and they saw him as a charlatan or whatever the you know, ideas that they had about Jesus. But as the Spirit cracks open their callous hearts, and as he draws them, the ones that were kind of on the fence and the ones that were way far on the other side, they're drawn together in 3,000. And in this room, on other sides of computer screens and smartphones, there's a gamut as well. And some of you are kind of the Jesus groupies, and you come and you kind of listen and you kind of you kind of, you kind of believe, and but yet you're not kind of all in, and, and you haven't been compelled to be all in for Christ. And today, God's doing something in your heart, and it's time to be all in. For others of you, that you're on the other end of that spectrum where you've been skeptics and you've been wondering who Jesus is. And today, as you hear, the, the, just like Peter stood up and he just talked about Jesus, that you recognize today that, you, uh, that you're a sinner, I'm a sinner, we're a sinner, and that Christ is the Savior. That he is the Christ and the Lord. And today you recognize that you need your being compelled into a relationship with Christ. The drawing, the compelling the conviction of sin they ask the question what shall we do is that the question that you're asking today what shall we do proverbs says in 28 verse 13 whoever conceals his sin his transgression will not prosper but he who confesses and forsakes them all will obtain mercy the spirit is drawing the spirit is convicting Will you allow a fresh work of the Spirit to come into your life today? Our worship team's going to come up. Whether you're on with us by internet or you're here in this room, there are people that would love to pray for you and with you. And you can just indicate that as you, if you're on our internet campus and just tell people where you are and if you need prayer. But today as we stand, I'm going to invite you all to stand. We've got a couple closing songs and a time of response. So go ahead and stand with us. And as you stand in this place today, and I just want to invite you to bow your heads and close your eyes. And I just want to pray for us. But I want to know, are you here today and you just feel like the Spirit is compelling, the Spirit is convicting. And there's things in your life that you just want to say, you know what, God, I need you. I recognize that I've been kind of doing this on my own. I've been kind of living on my own, living my own life. And, and there's some things that have kind of creeped in. There's been some squirrels kind of, kind of gnawing at the line that connects you and I. And Today, God, I just want to say I want to come clean before you. Spirit's convicting, the Spirit's compelling. Would you just raise your hand, and you're just raising it to God, not to me, and just raise your hand and say, God, I just want to confess that to you today and ask God that you would clean me up and you'd make me right before you today. If that's your prayer, would you just lift your hand and make eye contact with me? I'd love to pray for you.
to God, I don't need to see everybody's hand. You see our hearts today. Hey, God, we just want to be humble and broken before you. Acknowledge, God, that we can't do it on our own, that we need you. We need your son. And we get pretty arrogant as we live our lives in this world. But God, I pray today that you would help us as we stand before you, our holy God, to recognize that it will not work for us to stand before you with our self-righteousness, with our, you know, I did this and I did this good work and I went to church and I paid my tithes and I did this and I helped here and I helped there. But God, that will not work. God, I pray you'd help us to recognize that we are sinners and if we committed, we broke the law at one point, we have broken the entire law, that we need a Savior and only by Jesus and the redemptive work of Jesus Christ on a cross when He paid the penalty that we could not pay on our own. That is the only way that we will be forgiven and we will be set free. I pray in Jesus' name that as we have lifted hands, and maybe it was even too emotional to lift a hand, but in our hearts, God, today we say to you, we want to be clean, we want to be forgiven, we want to be set free. God, in Jesus' Jesus' name, I pray that you would bring clarity in a relationship, that you'd bring forgiveness, you'd bring healing, you'd bring hope, you'd bring a conviction that that you have forgiven, God. Thank you, Father, for the truth of your word that changes hearts. And as, as Jesus said, I've come that you might have life and life more abundantly. I pray for that abundant life. Pour it out in us today as we say to you, I need you every hour, every hour, God, I need you. That is our prayer. That is our heart today. We love you. Pour your spirit out in us today as we are convicted, as we are compelled into a deeper walk. Bring the sweetness of a deeper relationship and walk with you into our lives today as we we worship you. We pray it in Jesus' name. Let's worship. Lord, I come. I confess. Bowing I find my rest Without you I fall apart You're the one That guides my heart Lord, I need you Lord, I need you
my song to rise to you when temptation comes my way when I cannot stand I'll fall on you Jesus you're my hope and stay screen and just read this prayer of repentance together. As we say these words, uh, let's just let them connect to our hearts. Let this be a prayer to God asking for forgiveness. Let's read this together. Most holy and merciful Father, we confess to you and to one another that we have sinned by our own fault in thought word and deed, by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart and mind and strength. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We have not forgiven others as we have been forgiven. Please forgive us, Lord, and bring us back to you. Amen. from our ways oh God oh God for we have turned away from you Lord have mercy Lord have mercy Turn. 
Parting from our sin, we return to you. Father, heal your world, make all things new, make all things new. Your love and mercy build and shape us, break and then recreate us now. Lord, have mercy. We will run to you, we will run to you. Turning from our sin, we return to you. Father, heal your make all things new, make all things new.
sin, we return to you. Father, heal your world, make all things new, make all things new. What a great song that helps us to just say to God what, uh, what we feel today, what we sense today, what uh, up here today as well, uh, intellectually understanding what we need to do. We need to turn, we need to con- con- be convicted, we need to be compelled into this deeper walk. And I just encourage you to think about what's your next step. Um, maybe a next step is to, uh, to find a place to, uh, to live out your faith. And so you might find a place to serve, maybe serve and live out your faith as a follower of Jesus. Maybe it's in the community, maybe it's here at the church. Maybe your next step is uh, to get engaged. We've got some great classes that have just gotten started this last week, and you could jump right in. Classes on any number of different things that happen on Wednesday night. There's a class also over at our Stevensville campus on Tuesday night that's Alpha, that's an exploration of the kind of the basics of the Christian faith. Uh, uh, what, what's the next step for you? Maybe it's uh, to get involved in house if you're a young adult, if you're a teenager, to get involved in uh, a youth group or a discipleship group here at the church or young life at your school or what's the next step for you? Maybe it's to, to go get a Bible, you don't have one of those, and to just read 10 minutes a day and start somewhere in the New Testament like the book of John and just to begin to read about Jesus and what's your next step? Maybe your next step is baptism. You just want to say to God, I'm all in, and I want the world to know that, and as I go into that water, it's the old, old life is gone, as I'm raised up, I'm raised a new life in Christ, as the, the Word of God says, and you just want to express that to our world. What's your next step? encourage you to take one. If you want to be baptized, then, uh, there's a class next weekend. You could talk to us, call one of us. If there's a step that we can help you with, whether it's Dan or myself or anybody on staff or, or your section leaders, we want to help you. Heavenly Father, God, as we leave this place, God, I pray you help us to, to live out our faith. We're excited about what you're doing in our church and our lives. And God, we just continue to pray for revival, renewal in our lives and our hearts. And God, it's not just so we can have some experience, but God, we want to we wanna be changed so that we can make a difference in this world, so we can represent you better in this world, so that the world can see us, uh, that you alive in us. God, help us. Uh, we need you. God, thank you for the great things going on in our church. Continue to pour your spirit out. We love you, and we pray it in Jesus' name. And everybody said. Amen. Lord bless you. Go in God's peace and grace today.